This show was brought to you by Ouch My Ego. OuchMyEgo.com Hello there, John. Hello there, Andrew. Welcome back. Yeah, I, I got worried. I wasn't on like two or three shows. I started getting a little nervous. I know. <laughs> no need to be nervous. It's like stage fright. Uh, speaking of stage fright, I'm going to do a stand-up comedy bit right now. Impressions, right? Stand-up comedians like to do impressions. This isn't my joke. It's somebody else's joke. His name is Chris, if he ever listens to this. He was telling me this joke, and I, I've, I'm, I've adapted it. So it goes something like this. I am going to do impressions. Uh, here's Pee Wee. This is Pee Wee Herman. I know you are, but what am I? No laugh. That's not. Funny. Oh, you were doing the impression. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Here's here's my next impression. I am Mr. T. I pity the fool. You do pity the fool. I got that one that time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's another one. Christopher Walken. I shoved this thing, this watch, up my butt for a while. Uh, right now, now this one, John. How are you doing on this radio program? You are you okay. Are on the radio program with me. Okay, that one. I don't know who that one is. Wait, what? I don't know who that one is. I, I you have no no idea. Come no. on, it's Arnold Braunschweiger, the action movie star. Anyway, why am I doing all this crap? What did we just watch? We watched the Last Action Hero, a great classic. Comes to the screen. Take thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? To be or not to be? Not to be. Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater. Slater, you hear me? This is the lieutenant governor. Slater, here's what I... Oh. The governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan. <laughs> Jack Slater 4. But tonight, a magic ticket... It's a passport to another world. ...will get Danny closer to the action than anyone ever dreamed. Holy cow! I'm in the movie! Who the hell are you? Don't shoot me. I'm Danny Madigan. I'm a kid. And you're going with him. Who is this twerk? And where is that smile on his face? I don't even know this kid. To a world that's bigger than life. This ticket is magic, and it really works. And better than real. You really believe that you're inside a movie, don't you? Yes! The bad guys are in there. I've seen it. On screen. Could I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? Have a nice day. Have him killed. This summer, it's head-on thrills. I have killed people smarter and younger than you. Head-first excitement. I hate when it happens. He's got the ticket! Now I possess power. Real power. He's gone over to my world! In this world, the bad guys can win! The door must still be open, come on! If I go, how do I get back? And it's coming at you from both sides of the screen. Where am I now? This isn't the movies anymore, Jack. Please be careful. Things were different here. Damn it, that hurt. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Jack Slater. Wow! This hero stuff has its limits. And Jack Slater is... Everybody down! Now! The last action hero. The big ticket for 93. I'll be back. Ha! You did not gonna say that, did you? That's what you always say. 
I do. Last Action Hero, what do you think of that trailer? For 93. You know, I guess I have to preface this a little bit. When I saw this as a young man, I was 12 years old when this thing came out, and I did not like this movie. What? Didn't think it was very funny, and in a way, I guess it was... Like, I get the jokes. I got the, the humor of the film, but I think I was one of those people who just... I didn't want to see Arnold, not necessarily being funny, but making fun of himself. Well, I think. Wait. I think so wait we had previously in the arnold being funny one of the earlier roles that he ever did was making not fun of himself but it was the villain and he was the white hat hero and he was making fun of an archetype and that was with kirk douglas as the villain that was an old movie from the early 80s or the late 70s and then one-liners throughout his career but never comedies until twins right yeah that was like 88 or so yeah and from there what did we have like always humor throughout his career with the one-liners because it's always funny a monosyllabic guy saying stick around and stuff like that but then what junior came in like later than this so yeah, like this was 96? this was it right yeah this kind of was like the last comedy that he was in for a while and that's just it it's like also go when this film is trying to be funny in all honesty i don't think it's funny you I still think don't think it's funny no i think there's there's great humorous bits in this film and it's all stuff that it's intentionally done don't get me wrong i'm not an idiot <laughs> But it's usually when they're kind of, I don't want to say mugging for the camera, but that sort of humor where it's like the joke, it's very obvious that you're making a joke. Right. That's when I don't think it's funny. But when they're doing like the nice little subtle, and even then, not necessarily subtle. There's one thing where they're escaping in the LA River. Schwarzenegger makes the hero car jump. We get a terrible uh, mugging at the camera from Austin O'Brien. But then you see as they're driving away, you see in the background, a villain's car tried to make the same thing and it flies up and explodes and it yeah and like like it doesn't touch hilarious. anything and it explodes in the air it's amazing that scene yeah. is really cool that i wanted to actually talk about i didn't know when we we're going to get to it i really dig the car jumping scenes where the camera is attached to the car looking at the actors i remember seeing a behind the scenes of this where the car is on a gimbal yeah so that they can just reset over and over and have the car do the same motion so that they can get the better facial reactions the ah! you know because yeah, it's just that the air. it's the let's be kind of kind to uh, Austin O'Brien. It's like I don't know if it was his first film, but it was if it wasn't his first, it was like I very believe it's early his first. On. Yeah, he did the My Girl two later. Yeah, and he he never blew up like I think he kind of hoped because he's still acting apparently. Just oh, I didn't know he's still acting. He also did Lawnmower Man two, Job's War. Yeah. That one, that memorable movie. Yeah, the one that everyone remembers as Beyond Cyberspace also. Oh, yeah, yeah. The not how to make a Max Headroom movie. Because <laughs> Joe yeah, was played Max by Max Headroom in that one. Yeah. yeah, I'd rather watch the Max Headroom stuff. But anyway, this film, uh, as I was watching it, I forgot who wrote it like throughout the entire thing. I, I got like the, the Mill Creek Blu-ray, which has the movie. You put the Blu-ray in and it just plays. You go to the menu, you, you, you want to read some subtitles maybe of the police chief who just can hardly understand what he says and that's part of the joke. You slipped the bed on and cut your toes like a take from you. I got the California Razor Cousin doing all me a virgin and a daughter Anne Frank doing all me a virgin and in my foot of cinema. Tiny Timber stepped on to the toilet. You ball peen Jack Aminas. I slipped the bed on and cut your toes like a take from you. Frank, yeah, Frank the Gray. Oh, so wonderful. I love Frank the Gray. Oh, you like it? I see that's yeah. the part. Oh, and I get the joke, but he annoys me to no end. 
in this film. The, the steaming, the steaming from the ears during the second chew out is a bit much. Oh, you know? it's very, very on the nose. It, but it's just it's Frank McRae, and he does that very well. The last time when he's yelling at him, he actually says the F word. They get their one F word per PG-13 film. This movie's really violent, but there's no blood. There's no gore. There's a lot of hinted at, I should say, just hot chicks and, and oh, typically hot there are, chicks. The, the police station scene where all the yeah. where a lot of the women are wearing basically fetish wear. Yeah, they, they're fetish cops or future cops and they're all wearing Of course, there's also sexy robo, Robocop who comes in near the end of one of those things. Yeah, too, which, sexy Robocop. Or, or uh, is that, there's some Chinese version of that that actually came out in the late 80s. Robotrix, that's what it's called. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I, hmm, mental note, look that up. <laughs> Robotrix. So, yeah, they're walking around there, and there's the cameo appearances are all like... What do you think of cameo appearances in general? Do you think they take away from the film? It depends on the cameo, and it also depends on the type of film. So this film, like, do you think it's appropriate? Some of them, yes. Some of them, I was really... I did not get. Like, you have the, the film premiere at the end of the film, and one of the first cameos... Wait, let's wait, wait, wait. Let's go back to the very beginning first. First. Okay. Danny like, gets a magic ticket. The magic ticket is like Wonka Land ticket, not really. But he gets magically thrown into a movie and then his adventure goes. Once they're in the the very thing that you were just talking about, the, the police station, he's walking in. Sharon Stone is walking out. Well, and immediately, the double whammy is Sharon Stone is walking out and T-1000 yeah. is walking See, out. those, yeah, I guess those both, I didn't have an issue with them. It's also kind of, that was in the uh, cultural zeitgeist at the time, so it makes right. sense. Like, I think it's what, Tina Turner's the mayor? Right, yeah. So Tina Turner shows up and you're just like, oh, Tina Turner. Everybody else, though, seems to be like an appropriate casting. F. Murray Abrams there, and they play off the fact that he often plays villains ever since he did Amadeus. Yes, he killed Mozart, apparently. And Art Carney is there as Jack Slater's favorite second cousin. Jack Slater is played by Arnold Braunschweiger. It's my favorite joke in the movie, by the way. Braunschweiger. You know what Braunschweiger is? Yeah, it's, uh... Well, I know it's Brown... Shoot, I... I know I saw this and I can't remember what it is. Brown something or other. It's liverwurst, basically. Ah. And you yum. know what liverwurst is? The worst kind of uh, meat. No, no, no. Liverwurst. <laughs> it's an organ. It's a bad organ. You're funny. Uh, that was an honest, high-pitched, annoying laugh that I gave. It is a pate made out of liver. Yes, liver. But I think it's like chicken liver or something. And it's good. I can't have it all the time, but it's good. You get yourself a piece of bread, open face, whatever. A slice of, yes, a slice, like all the rings of onion and Braunschweiger. That's a good little snack. Hmm, I'm hungry. All right, the show's done. I'm going to go eat. Thanks, I can eat, everybody. Now we're back. I ate. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so, Braunschweiger's my favorite joke. The joke is him, he's trying to convince him that he's actually in the, the movie. And that this yeah. whole thing is a movie. That's like half of the movie is the boy trying to convince him. I know everything that's happening because I love your movies. And I love this movie. And this is this. And this is that. I'm the famous comedian, Arnold Braunschweiger. Schwarzenegger. Gesundheit. Well, it's like I think I think the best joke in the entire film is when they go to the video store and they have Terminator 2 with uh, Stallone. Yeah, yeah. And do you have Do you have Terminator 2 here? Yeah, it's like you were in this movie. What are you talking about? That's his best movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the end cameo that you were talking about 
there's there's a bunch of cameos in the thing where you have like Jean-Claude Van Damme and there's, you know, MC Hammer Pierce and he was, you know, of course, very big at that moment. But the one that it starts everything is a cameo by Little Richard. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> it was just beautiful. I right? And I That's don't bizarre. get it. Yeah. I don't get it either. The other thing I don't get about that whole scene, uh, they finally get out. We're jumping around. This is great. They finally get out of the movie screen with the use of a magic ticket again. And they go to the premiere of the new Jack Slater, Jack Slater 4. And why is the movie premiere in New York? Um, because the movie's set in New York. And the they couldn't, and they couldn't, uh, don't do New York, do they? Yeah, they do. You know, you get premieres in New York or Chicago. It's not as common. It you mostly usually have your can- Hollywood uh, premiere. The yeah, the Grauman's, Mans, whatever, whoever owns it right now, Chinese theater. Yeah, but there are times where you'll premiere movies. It's usually if it if the movie is set in that location, they might have a premiere there. Hmm. But yeah, again, it's usually se- it just seemed like like way convenient. <laughs> but they but they needed four more hours of a cross-country from New York to L.A. chase road movie, then I would no, have been satisfied. This this movie is actually too long. I know I, I said I didn't like that movie when I was younger. I did enjoy this a lot more this time around. But oh, yeah, this no, movie this is, is... This was, by the way, I have to give credit where credit's due. This is your call. You were the yeah. person to suggest this because you like to watch what I like to call normal weird movies it's a normal movie but it's also a weird movie and it is the the culmination of a bunch of stuff there's the remember the question when did weird become normal um yeah it's just just you know fantastic elements in cinema where we watch them and it's like old hat sure but like if you really watch it if you're not just autopiloting the thing you're this thing's kind of crazy Things kind of nuts. Yeah. When did weird become normal? It just kind of creeps in, you know? Because there's a lot of... And again, you'll go normal weird. I'll just go for the uh, uninitiated. There is a lot of weird stuff out there. Even if it's quote-unquote normal weird. Every now and then, something oddball will pop up and sometimes capture the imagination. Sometimes not, you know? But Have you seen Kuso? No, I haven't. Yeah, that thing is made by Flying Lotus. He's a musician. And it's like an extended music video. But there's not a lot of... It's not like toe-tapping music or anything. It's all just made. It's weird to be weird. Yeah. For, for real. I'm familiar with uh, Flying Lotus's work, but no, I haven't yeah, seen so, that. So Kuso is disgusting, it's gross, and it's weird to be weird and off-putting and all that stuff. It's it's there to check all the boxes of, is this weird? And I can say, yeah, that is a piece of artwork and it's, it's weird. This is a parody. This is actually, you know, I like to equate things to Mad Magazine and Cracked Magazine. Now, this one seems a lot more like Mad Magazine than Cracked. But it isn't an airplane-style parody. It has a better conceit where the real world doesn't have any real jokes in it. The real world is hard. Is it, yeah, and that's I think that's why this is set in New York as opposed to being in L.A. for like pre-gentrified New York. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of thing is especially even before they uh, cleaned New York up, New York was basically always kind of thought of as this uh, as this little cesspool. And yeah, very you know, dark, when you... very uh, wet. Apparently, all the time, wet. Yeah, it's just this, you know, unpleasant area. And that's, you kind of feel when you're out in this real world, it's just, it's ugly, it's 
you know, it, it's well, dark. Well, before before the whole thing happens, he, he's just he's just watching movies at Nick's movie theater. It's an old movie house that <laughs> there's only like a bum watching the movie and him. And then he goes home, and his mom gets mad at him because he played hooky and all that stuff. And then she has to go to work, and then she's like, "Don't leave." But he's just you know an addict for watching these movies at Nick's movie house. Nick's an old man who has the magic ticket, by the way. So it's for the uninitiated. So he gets he gets mugged in his own house. Yeah, and what's messed up is the fact that the mugger is angry that he has nothing worth stealing. And you kind of go, did you look at the apartments that you're casing, dude? These are terrible yeah. apartments. What do you expect them to have? Exactly. And I, I didn't see a, a VHSs anywhere. He couldn't have had foresight that there's a collector's market in the future, you know. Give me your VHS tapes of Shane Black movies. Which, to get back to what I was saying a long, long time ago. Writers. About ten, ten minutes ago or so, I was talking about writers. I didn't recognize, like, I didn't read the, I don't read credits. I didn't read the credits uh, because I'm dyslexic. So what I did see was Shane White. I'm joking. I saw Shane Black, obviously, by the end of the film, I realized that it was a Shane Black well, screenplay, it, not story. It, the story yeah, is somebody well, else's story. Well, no, it was, yeah, the original, the full story is Zach Penn and Adam Leff. Shane yeah. Black and uh, David Arnott rewrote a good chunk of it, and William Goldman actually did a polish on it, too, which is, okay. which I can see in one scene, which is... Uh, it's where uh, Schwarzenegger, he's gone to his uh, terrible little apartment, which his closet has all his multiple outfits and multiple guns of all the same type. I love that. Uh, but okay. he has this yeah. he has this reflective moment where he's just kind of talking about how he just came out to be a normal cop. And now he just keeps getting into these very elaborate adventures. And it's a, you know, you don't usually talk about an acting moment with Schwarzenegger, but it's a beautiful acting moment. It's this reflective moment. McTiernan pulls this great performance from the dude. Uh, Austin O'Brien kind of ruins it by doing his... It's the sequels! It's gotta be! But it's a wonderful moment. And yeah. I, that's that's the sort I of stuff I actually agree I, with you. That's, yeah. that's a good thing to note. Um, Schwarzenegger, I always usually say Schwarzenegger's best acting moment is in Escape Plan, when he gets to speak in his Austrian dialect, German. But uh, if you're gonna talk about his, you know, American English pronunciation that he just always butchers this is probably a really good performance the scene that you're talking about yeah yeah and i can see that scene being written by you know someone who spends a lot more time writing a little more introspective and thoughtful stuff whereas you know yeah shane black writes explosions shane black did a rewrite on predator he was the on-set script doctor and they were like well since you're there and you do a little acting you want to be in the movie and he's like yeah so he's in the movie yep so he did the polish on that then he did like the buddy cop thing how many buddy cop movies did he do i know that he did uh he did what? last boy scout he did last boy uh, scout. lethal weapon god i off the top of my head i couldn't listen off but a lot he of did monster squad as well you know but last boy scout and lethal weapon series those are all his. Those are all from him, and so it makes sense that he would be the guy to go to, at least to consult on this type of movie that's supposed to sort of make fun of the types of movies that he made. That yeah. He's, and that he's really known for, but one tell 
that he has in any of his action movies is that it's set during Christmas. This is the most magical time of the year. Now, this movie is not set during Christmas, but at the very beginning of it, you think that you're watching the movie, but you're watching a movie within the movie, and that movie is set during Christmas. Yep. Jack Slater 3, where the uh, great Tom Noonan is playing a villain called the Ripper, who then later shows up at the end of the actual film. You know, that's a cameo appearance that's pretty clever, where Tom Noonan and the Ripper, because everybody's leaving the movies now, literally leaving the, f- the film that yeah. they're in. You have a really... Uh, okay, so Charles Dance is the villain, the main villain of the story. And he is amazing. He's a henchman sort of heavy number one of Jack Slater 4. So they're watching Jack. He's watching a, a private screening of 4, which is how he gets into this whole mess. Okay, right. But Charles Dance, uh, he's also got, a, is it a false eye or is it just contacts? What's he do? It's a false It's a false eye. I actually did question that a little bit because I remember it being a glass eye. But then that's not how glass eyes work. <laughs> yeah, there's one scene where he's like takes out the eye, but he's still got the eye in his eye. And I was like, huh? But it's all right. Continuity errors can exist in oh. this because it's making fun of Yeah, stuff, that's, so. there are lots of intentional continuity errors. So that's most likely that's what that is. Is it, Again, he's supposed to have a glass eye, but yeah, we clearly see he doesn't have a glass eye. Now, since this is basically alternate universe stuff where the kid is pulled into the alternate universe of the movie, do you buy that somebody's going to be that aware of this kid doesn't belong, why doesn't he belong, and how did he get here, and this magic ticket? Hoo-ha, whatever. I would, yeah, I would buy, because Charles Dance is really the most self-aware character even in the film. He, like, in the film within itself, because he hates his boss, constantly hearing his boss say these, uh, you know, make these turns of phrase that are completely wrong, and he's just angry about it at all times. Excuse me. Yeah, he's re- he's under his breath. In that sense, he reminds me of you. Um, <laughs> having worked with you in the bookstore and the video game store <laughs> in the past during your worst day, that's kind of what you'd do after hearing something that would set you off. You'd just be like, grumble, mumble, mumble, grumble. Yeah, yes, and I enjoy this villain so much. But he, <laughs> he seems... He seems so self-aware of what's going on that he would be the person who would recognize that this kid is not right. Because, I mean, yeah. obviously, the reveal that he realizes this is, you know, the kid's literally saying stuff that he... Uh, <laughs> His kid just he, doesn't know how to be quiet. Yeah, he's just... Tell him in the car. aping lines. Yeah, he's aping <laughs> lines around the guy who said them. Granted, Schwarzenegger should figure out a lot of this stuff because the kid's calling, you know, so much stuff that happens. But, yeah, Dance, it makes sense that he would have realized this. Not necessarily that he is a, you know, that he's a fictional character, but that there's something different about that kid it's when he gets the ticket and discovers the portal to the real world that the twilight zone plays yeah theme plays hey let me ask you how old do you think austin his character danny is supposed to be i don't know uh probably would have been about my age so i'd be thinking probably about 12 or 13 at that time okay so kind of middle school ish so then they go to uh jack's place one of his places and they open the door and danny's kissed by bridget wilson who is the daughter of jack slater now how old is she she's in college so you know at the very least she's 18 18. yeah so So, she is like you're not skeezy are you apparently there's a kid named skeezy now she's 
set up uh, this this stupid sorority prank where whoever opens the door you kiss and it's supposed to be this dorky dweeby guy. Later after this big old action sequence happens and all this stuff, we see Skeezy. He's about the same age. I was expecting to see somebody more her age and he's about the same. I'm like, what the heck is this casting? What is going on here? That threw me know, for a loop, you know? The yeah, age? It, like, you're gonna send a 13-year-old boy to a random house, ex- and he in the hopes of getting the kiss. kiss. Yeah, yeah, he expects the kiss. Huh? Welcome to uh, movies. <laughs> Welcome to movies making fun of how... Ri- okay, so yeah, okay, I can accept it. It's making fun of how ridiculous horndog conceits are in the 80s, especially. So, if you think about it that way. Yeah. This thing is just... Like, even there's the multiple, you're talking about it kind of being, uh, it's a satire, and and yeah. there's multiple references even to other films in the genre, including audio cues. Like, when Jack Slater's second favorite cousin's house explodes, one of the cops is dying, he's like, I just had two days to retirement. And then yeah. he goes out, and then there's a lethal weapon theme that plays right after that. <laughs> Alright, so in, you have when to they be make aware re- of... Of these movies. You have to be a fan of these movies in order to like it. But, you know, I think this film was ahead of its time by two years. Yes, that that is the thing. It's a very meta film. And while I'm still pretty sure that this is not the first meta film. I mean, there's but, tons of meta, meta spoofs and stuff. But they don't have the, the framework of not a meta spoof film. They yeah, don't have the framework of... Just a coming-of-age story of a, a latchkey kid. They don't have that. The film, I mean, maybe yeah, the, Hold on. Maybe the one that does have it, but it doesn't go into comedy territory. It's a never-ending story. It has a latchkey kid story around it. But then he goes into fantasy world, and that's the difference. So this and never-ending story are kin, in a way, if you think about this it. This is true, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see that. So, satire, spoofs. You had lots of them, airplane-style movies, uh, Kentucky Fried movies, those types of things. And they were abundant in the 80s, even though only a few of them are actually any good. I totally agree. And so this one was a, a bit more clever, I think, in working it the way that they did, as opposed to just a gag a second in the background. I, actually, here's here's one of, the, like, one of the little bits I think was very funny from this one. Kind of how you have the mismatch cop genre of films and they have Mm -hmm. a scene of course where they kind of parry that in the background in the police station where the cops are getting their partner assignments and you have like okay you you get uh, partnered with the rabbi and then you get uh (laughs) and it's a rabbi shows up it's not well the the joke is like everybody has different nicknames right and so instead of just being the nickname the rabbi and having it be just a Jewish cop. Literally, he's a rabbi. Which is pretty great. Or you get the woman who gets partnered up with the sexist animated cat cop, Whiskers, who's Daddy DeVito. Radcliffe, you're pulling duty with the animated cat. Hiya, toots. I'm getting a flea bath later. Join me? You touch me again, furball, and I'll kill you. I can prove this is a movie. Look out there, this is a cartoon cat. He's supposed to be back on duty. He was only suspended for a month. Now shut up. Listen to what I'm saying. An animated cat just walked into the squad room. Hello? He'll do it again tomorrow, so what's your point? That cat is one of the best men I got. That's the part that I don't know if I can get with. Like, and I know it plays later into a pivotal scene as well. Uh, a deus ex machina type uh, hero moment. Not hero moment, but saves the day moment. Ah, saves the cat. 
The cat saves the man. Save the yeah. cat. Cat saves the man. Haha. <laughs> That's cute. I just thought about that. So script writing for those listening and who don't know, there's a book on script writing called Save the Cat. So what you want to do to make your hero endearing in the very first few moments of the hero being introduced or the protagonist is you have him do something somewhat dangerous or sacrificial of his own safety and self. So you have him save a child or a cat or something that otherwise was in danger that couldn't get out of danger. So you have him do something like climb a tree and save the cat, push a kid out of the way of an oncoming vehicle, something like that. And here you have the cat save the hero. Ha 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 ha. Just talking about it made me think about it. So so it's clever. It's a little bit more clever, clever than you thought. But it's an animated yeah. cat. So but I do I do kind of like everyone's reaction that it's just it's normal. <laughs> right. So this movie is is clever. It's written by people that know the genre in and out. And it's chock full of layered jokes and stuff. So you could probably watch it again immediately after watching it the first or second or third time and still find something new in it because it's that layered. In that way, it's a lot like those airplane movies. But it's not delivered yeah, it's that not way. It's not packed full of jokes where every time you see the film, you're going to find another joke. You just kind of find another layer to what the jokes are. Yeah, like textures, some set dressing, something going on. Uh, I don't mean jokes. I mean ambience. I mean like prop design or set dressing and stuff like that. I have I will have to say like again where I go humor doesn't work in this film though would be Leo the fart. That ah, whole the that fart. entire thing. Now I gotta ask you, was he saying the fart or the fart? Like his last name is the fart. Leo the f- the, the fart because the entire thing <laughs> is he's a flatulent person. Or in life he was a. F- he's a big. Well, also the the bad joke, the terrible joke, is that two ways. If you're an obese person, the joke isn't in this movie. But if you're an obese person, the cliche is always that you you're constantly thinking about eating, and the character walks on scene and eating a donut or something constantly. The other one is that the person's gross, unhygienic, and flatulent. And here, Leo to fought yeah that's the joke here he's a dead guy though yes so we don't actually have to see him well we do farting kind of well we kind of see him fart since he's a bomb he's a gas bomb nerve Nerve gas gas. and whatever that is shipment of nerve gas went missing two days ago now what is nerve gas like to the regular person to us like how what would be that an extreme version of it not uh, i don't think exactly correct but uh if you've seen the rock uh, what the villain is using oh, yeah. is basically a type of nerve gas. I don't think it's that extreme, but think oh, it's, okay. I think that's a movie conceit. So typically, but. typically it's a movie talk thing. It, well, nerve well, gas. It's, it's a real thing. It's it kills people. It's a it's a real like weapon of war, uh, banned weapon. Well, of war. I well like I I think of like stuff like mustard gas. I know what that is. I know how that comes around. Uh, World War One, like, like through history, but I, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just not aware of more modern wars where they use horrible gases yeah, I'm in not, warfare. I am not the kind of person who goes and researches uh, this kind of stuff. So, yes, I, people might be screaming at me. So, basically, you're telling me you're useless Yes, here. I am. Unless you want me to go and search Dr. Thank Google. Thank you, John. I mean, Mr. Google. Dr. Mr. Google to you. Mr. Dr. The, Google, sir. He has sir. a PhD, yes. Esquire. <laughs> Mr. Dr. Google, sir. Esquire. Senior. Mr. Dr. Google, okay. sir, Esquire <laughs> Sr. Okay, the, Leo Lafarte as a bomb is triggered by Charles Dance pulling his finger. Oh, right. Yes. 
they they kept on saying Leo the fart, Leo the fart, Leo the fart, Leo the fart throughout the whole movie. Of course, in various ways, Leo the fart. So they have to have the punchline to that whole thing be setting the bomb, pulling the finger. Yes, and then when they get, I recall going like <laughs> that kind of a sort of a, a resigned guffaw. <laughs> yeah, and then when the bomb goes off, it manages to be put into the La Brea tar pits. And it becomes a giant gas bubble that has a fart, that extended fart sound. Yeah, but that's still gonna let the gas out. So like, <laughs> well, no, it well it should because we see what Tar does to Jack Slater, which is nothing. It's nothing. basically like yeah. chocolate pudding the, on his body. Yeah, that that's an airplane style joke too. You know, so airplane he uh, or police squad his hair is super messy and he just puts his hand over his hair and they so they have the establishing shot of him trying to straighten his hair and immediately the next angle camera angle his hair is back to being perfect that's that type of yeah oh and it also makes fun of continuity wipes and everything like that where yes in these sorts of films it doesn't matter yeah he just he quickly just wipes off his face and he's back to normal yeah so this film is directed by john mctiernan who did the Predator movie. Predator, Die Hard, Die Hard with the Vengeance. He did a movie called Nomads before he did any of those, and that's how he got his foot in uh, on the major film market. Here, I don't know, uh, I, I like John McTiernan movies in a general sense. He's got a very good, big Hollywood production look. Do you think he was the appropriate director to do this, though? Since he wasn't a director who... Who does humor. Did... Basically, yeah. Did buddy comedy movies as they were throughout the 80s. The, like, the only cop thing, big budget blow up cop thing he did was the Die Hard movie. He did one of them, the one with uh, Belushi. Uh, Belushi and Schwarzenegger, didn't he? It was like Red Heat or whatever. You no. didn't do that one? No, that wasn't that was... him. That was no. not him. I don't know, as is. It's a mixed result. But off the top of my head, I can't think of someone who could do the action well. Granted, you have a second-year director who should be doing that anyway, not necessarily the lead director in most respects anyway. But off the top of my head, yes, I can't really think of someone who would have done the action side of this film well. It would be more in line with the humorous, you know, satirical aspects. Because, I mean, what? We're going to get, what, you know, Chris Columbus or... Rob Reiner or something? Oh, well, Walter Hill's <laughs> known for doing these types of buddy movies. He did 48 Hours, another 48 Hours. He did Red Heat. Okay, so it was Hill. So, yeah, there were a few that could do it, but Walter Hill didn't do this, obviously. No. I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess Walter Hill. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know what he would have done the comedy, because, like... Yeah, because... Actually, oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't wait. know. I don't know. I think, I think oh. what we got is a, a decent product from... John McTiernan, and I'm not pooping him. I was just posing the question. Yeah, actually, you know what? Man for the I, and I'm blanking on his name. Who directed Beverly Hills Cop? Oh, the first one, I Martin Brest, I think. I'm Maybe sure. him. Second oh, one. Second one is like Harlan. Uh, Tony oh, Scott. Oh, that was, okay, that's Tony Scott. Must be Ready Harlan. No, that's Die Hard 2. Maybe the guy who did uh, Beverly Hills Cop, because that had a very good mix of both. Granted, it's basically you put a camera on Eddie Murphy and let him do his thing, but, you know, maybe. Yeah, uh, well, that's a totally different kind of comedy, though. That's a comedy where the only person that's aware of the comedy is the jackass who's making all the jokes, i.e. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Everybody else is just, like, the butt of the joke whenever he's around. True. Because he's such a smartass. But, so. but it is a, a good balance because the film is genuinely funny, and it does have some very good action set pieces. So, again, it, it you're yeah, right. Yeah, so this... 
the film, to me, also follows under one of the last... I was trying to figure it out when it died, and I don't know if it died yet, but Kids in Peril stories, where you have a, a kid or a group of kids who are in danger. You have, obviously, Goonies. You have E.T. You have Cloak and Dagger. You have various movies where children are in danger. You even have smaller movies like Tough Guys or something oh, heck, like that. Oh, heck, they, they but, kill a kid in this movie. Well, in Jack Slater 3, they kill a kid. Yeah, but that's a that's a movie in a movie. That's, but they bring that back around because that's the... You're really talking about yeah. children in peril. That's a motif, right? They bring, bring back the motif, but you actually now have Danny, who is the real kid, in actual danger in the real world. And when that scene happens... I'm actually very concerned for the kid's safety. He gets thrown over the building, and he's holding on to a gargoyle. Yeah, it's also because it's played in a way that is real. Like, in if it was the movie, yeah, you know, yeah, Jack Slater would have swung down and saved him, and now he knows he's a fictional character in the real world, and he's yeah, he's trying his best to not die and to and save, save the you. kid, and it works, etc., and so on, and it also works as the motif of him redeeming himself because in Jack Slater 3, his son was murdered by the Ripper. Which brings us back to the cameo appearances. Tom Noonan shows up as himself and the Ripper. I mentioned that before. You also have, from Red Heat, Belushi saying... I don't really want to hear it. I'm not really a big fan of Arnold's... uh... (laughs) She is, you know. (laughs) Arnold really turns around and I just want to be there when it happens. That's all so that was actually pretty kind of funny, haha. They worked on the same movie together, Red Heat, prior, and now he's dissing him. This is, that he's only there to show up. Yeah, he's just he's showing up to a know, premiere. Make public exactly, appearances. Yeah. Why would yeah, I miss a premiere? Public appearance. I don't care if I have to see this man I don't like. I'm I'm here to see a movie and get pictures taken of me. And I actually think that the the scenes where Schwarzenegger is playing opposite Schwarzenegger are well done. So he's about to shoot the Ripper, and Schwarzenegger tackles Jack Slater. And then is like, The Swedish has let me know when they're planning a stunt. You know, you're the best celebrity lookalike I've ever seen. Hey, if you get to Los Angeles, call my office. We can get your shopping center opening. Look, I don't really like you, right? You brought me nothing but pain. Yeah, but that scene was actually played really well. Dialogue-wise and everything, that was pretty well. Schwarzenegger playing ignorant to the whole thing is... Believable. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's that good as himself, or in, like, the earlier bits of that. Oh, because they're totally making fun of his whole Planet Hollywood Yeah, and, and that stuff, and, it, and him and Maria Shriver, it just, it didn't play as well as I think they thought it did. It's not horrible. It's mm-hmm. not it's not the worst jokes or anything like that in this film, but it's just kind of... Those jokes were for our parents. Yeah, it's... Yeah, at, at the age that we were when we watched this movie, obviously I'm a little bit older than you, but our parents would have watched this movie movie and have would have known about the maria shriver angle and all that and they would have gotten those jokes and thought (laughs) they're a married couple (laughs) it's jokes about business a married couple don't self-promote and like the wife that's like folding her arms going come on stop doing that thing that you always do you know and then he does it which haha he starts talking about his planet hollywood you ever go to planet hollywood i have been to planet hollywood yes how many times Uh, a couple of times plus the fact that i also lived in vegas so there was a casino of it too so oh no you hadn't been to the one in southern california yeah or no. the ones yeah i've been you had i've been there once i went there once and it was around the time armageddon came out and that was also around the time of another friend's birthday and we made him a spacesuit out of a track suit packing foam you know like those weird modular
modular packing things from like a box of like Talk about a the gadget of some sort. No, not peanuts. No, the packing it's it's modular. It's like shaped like part of a TV. Going oh yeah, it, so yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had some of that stuff, and we had some um, two liter bottles and some hoses and stuff in it. We ended up making this thing look like a jet pack or or a space pack on the back of it, and we had this a uh, rather sci-fi motorcycle helmet that actually quite looked like a sci-fi helmet and they decorated the track suit and like nasa sort of gear looking stuff and we revealed it to him there at the planet hollywood and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna go put it on this is the <laughs> best thing so he puts it on and he's in a planet hollywood but this is a different friend chris he's in planet hollywood walking around like he's a spaceman around the same time that armageddon came out and this is not a joke or a stereotype there were japanese tourists there and they wanted a photo with him so i'm like he's, he's got the helmet down it's too dark because there's a, a shaded helmet so i'm like walking him around to tables <laughs> And people are like, cool, hey, that's neat. But it's also kind of like a rush job. So the suit is also kind of cheap looking at the same time. It's both impressive and cheap. And he's got moon boots on. So this whole thing is crazy. And we get the photos done with various patrons of the place. Some of them, yes, indeed, Japanese. But the next time I saw them, which was a few days later, I I lied as a joke. And I was like, so trade papers are actually talking about this thing where Bruce Willis showed up to a planet Hollywood dressed in his spacesuit dude you're a jerk <laughs> <laughs> and but but the thing is i said it in such a way that they believed me they're like what i was like yeah but that was chris that was us that was they said the date and the time they're like really where's this and I'm like i'm not telling you the truth this is a lie this is a joke i'm joking and they were mad at me well yeah because you're a jerk <laughs> <laughs> I can do that sometimes, but but it's a funny joke to me. I was just like, come on, oh, I had to man. strike. But that's just an anecdote. Planet Hollywood is the reason why I mentioned that. Now, Planet Hollywood is mentioned here, and that was obviously just a... Please, can I mention Planet Hollywood in this movie? Thanks. We need the money, because they went under, right? Uh, yeah, I think that actually, as their business venture, yeah, it went under. What, did they sell it? I believe they did. I, at least for the casino. The casino is owned like by Caesars or something like that, so I don't know about, oh, okay. about the brand. And beyond that, yeah. Okay. Now, one of the most darkly comical things in this film, though, yeah. when our villain makes it to the real world, and he starts yes. to see kind of how crappy everything is, Oh. and he goes up yeah. and he shoots a guy. And well, he sees a guy get shot and mugged for his shoes yeah. first, and nobody responds to it. And Go so he, he asks this guy if he wants to participate in an experiment. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to bother you. I wonder if you'd help me test a theory. Sure, what can I do for you? Well... Hello? I've just shot somebody. I did it on purpose. I said I have murdered a man and I want to confess. Hey, shut up down there! Yes, and it just kind of... Because, granted, okay, fine, they are kind of darkening up reality a bit. Because, you know, yes, if someone actually shot a dude, someone would have called the cops. Let's not... Uh, There is a case that happened in the the 60s, they say. Yeah. You can look it up. Oh, I I know about it. Where a lady was assaulted in a doorway, and people were looking out of their windows. It's the early 60s, I do believe, when New York was the darkened, horrible mess 
Anyway, but, and the people who witnessed the crime didn't call anybody. They just watched it happen. But that's also... Let it happen. Nobody stepped forward. So but that's, that's the whole... Con- well, I like the word conceit. Yeah. That's what that is right there. Well, that's also... Yeah, the idea was these people saw each other, though, and no one actually stepped forward. You're right. That, but the thing is, that's... With the exception of maybe a couple of people who are standing outside, no one really sees this. So usually if there's a... Uh, you would You would think someone who wasn't just going oh there's someone else they'll call the cops sort of uh, thing someone would have probably called the cops at that point but the point made in that is bad guys can win oh yeah yeah well that's what he says and it's really poignant and not prescient because we all live in the real world and villains do win all the time and they're usually big money villains they're not usually weapons brandishing villains unless they have a small army with them i'm thinking like the cartels or something those villains win all the time usually it's some sort of beyond the one percent type villains those are the guys that win. Here, it's a guy who's just a sociopath. I, he's not even psychopath. He's a sociopath. He's just there to... It's Charles Dance. Charles yeah. Dance doing his bad guy shtick. Yeah. Although, that was supposed to be Alan Rickman. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and Alan Rickman was like, Alan Rickman, you really want me to be this on the nose? I, I guess he turned it down, but I guess he was also too expensive. Because at least mm. this thing that I read said, when Dance got word of Alan Rickman being too expensive for it, he had a, ended up wearing a shirt on set saying, I'm cheaper than... Alan Rickman. <laughs> well, I don't want to find out if that's not true. I want that to be true, even if it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I appreciate this movie. I watched it with Elby, and she was wa- laughing along with it and carrying on with it. And I'm like, You like this? And she's like, Yeah, I saw it in the theater when I was a kid, and I've always liked it. I picked a movie LB didn't hate. <laughs> yeah and i didn't hate it either but you know there are like some lopsided elements to it that aren't the greatest and there are some elements to it that are absolutely the greatest like i said the car gimbal stunt thing is one of my favorite things just to look at as far as a stunt goes and of course the punchline to that is the car blowing up in the middle of the air yeah this is a film that has great bits it's not a solid film it's not a masterpiece or anything like that there's no it's very obvious that they could have done more work on it and didn't get the chance to because that's that, that's yeah. one of the big flaws is the fact that it opened up like after Jurassic Park it had a disastrous screening very shortly before it was to be released people didn't get it and, well, dude nobody got well, even it even then they weren't given the time you know you talk about studio meddling they were sitting firm to their release date so they didn't give them the time to go and retool any of the editing and maybe fix some of the jokes I'm not going like do a full reshoot or anything but I'm sure there's alternate takes and things like that that could have worked better in some regards perhaps yeah Yeah. but they never were never given that time also i just before the end of this show i just got to know you and i both worked at various video stores i worked at blockbuster you worked at hollywood and neither of us had co-workers that were supermodel no like angie everhart (laughs) and the blockbuster in this movie angie everhart is like the store manager what not nope yes and of course even even if our co-workers were pretty girls or whatever they were not but andrew you got to (laughs) remember it's los angeles everyone is pretty there (laughs) yeah true true i think i guess i don't know i was only a, a 
an imposter in LA. I didn't live there. I entered into LA. Looked like I belonged every so often, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just a so. schlub. <laughs> but you were in a movie. I was. I was in a music video. You were in the movie Slackers. Yeah. Well, I was in also Major League, but... Oh, what? Yeah. What? You were in Major League? In the background of Major League, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, the, the shot where uh, Wesley Snipes is sliding into base and he misses and gets tagged out. My dad and I are in the background of that shot. Like, I could point it out if we were looking at the thing. Like, that's us right there. That's one of LB's favorite movies. So I'm going to tell her that. She's going to listen to this episode. That's going to be a surprise. Yep, yep. She probably won't listen to this episode. I'll probably just <laughs> Just cut this part and play that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thanks, John, for this venture into normal strange as opposed to the super heavy, weird crap that I like to go for half the time. Anytime, Andrew. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night. Crumble, mumble, mumble, grumble.